encourage you to take out your Bible, turn it over to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, as I was preparing this Mother's Day sermon, it took me in a whole different direction than uh, I was expecting. And so the emphasis today, emphasis today is on a mother's prayer and how important that is and how mother's prayer has changed many a life, many a country and a nation. You think about it. And uh, we could go down through history and hear that. Thank you, Chuck. First Samuel chapter 1. We'll begin with verse 1 in just a moment. And I encourage you to follow along as I read. And if you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen. First Samuel chapter 1. There was a certain man, Aramathiam Zophan of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Ehulu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and an Ephrathite. How many of you are glad you didn't do scripture reading today? <laughs> right? Verse 2, he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli Hophni and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Verse 6, and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, and as often as she went up to the house of the Lord... Peninnah used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the prophet was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Well, moms teach us many things, don't they? Mothers teach us about medicine. If you don't wash your hands or put your coat on, you're going to get sick. Mothers teach us about genetics. You're just like your father. Mothers teach us about my roots. Were you born in a barn? Mothers teach us about anticipation. Just wait until your father comes home. Mothers teach us about foresight. Make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident today. Mothers teach us about logic. If you fall off a tree and break your neck, don't come crying to me. Mothers teach us about religion. You better pray that comes out of the carpet. Mothers teach us about contradictions. I like this one. Shut your mouth and eat your dinner. Now, how do you do that, right? Mothers teach us about contortions. We look at the dirt on the back of your neck. Mothers teach us about the circle of life. I brought you into this world and I can take you out. And the number one thing my mother taught me was justice. One day you will have kids and I hope they turn out just like you. And my daughter keeps telling us the more she goes on how much she's like her mom. So it comes true. While we will magnify motherhood today, I recognize that this day is not happy for, anyone, for everyone here. Some of you probably didn't come to church today because maybe your mother's, or didn't want to come to church today because your mother's no longer alive and you really miss her. 
Some of our moms wish they could be with their kids today, but because of separation and distance, they cannot. Others of you don't care much for your mom, and you're a bit turned off by all the syrupy sentiments in Hallmark cards. Some of us who have a mother is very sick right now, and you wonder how much longer she's going to be with you. And that's where my wife is today. She's out with her mom in New Jersey, being with her. Perhaps you're parenting solo as you work hard to nurture the faith of your children. Some may have experienced the devastating loss of a child's death. Others have a broken heart, maybe in this room or watching on YouTube, who have a prodigal child that have locked away from the Lord, or maybe they're not even saved yet. There are probably some others out there in this world this morning that wish they didn't have any kids, and then there's other moms that would give anything to have a child. Some of you are in blended family and things just feel messy on Mother's Day. And there's also those moms who feel like they failed and struggled when they see all these hashtags like super mom and best mom ever posts. But let me also say that womanhood is not just about marriage and children. Your worth as a woman goes far beyond your marital status or whether or not you have kids. In our passage today, we're going to learn about a woman with a lot of woes in the midst of Hannah's hurts. God ministered his grace and his mercy to her. So let's look at this passage we just read for our scripture reading as we begin with the first point on your outline. First of all, notice Hannah, that she brought her problems to God. She brought her problems to God. Now before we jump into the story, I encourage you to take your Bible and turn back to the last chapter of Judges, Judges 21. In our English Bibles, the book of Ruth comes after Judges, but in the Hebrew Bible, 1 Samuel comes right after the book of Judges. The situation's bleak, much like our society today. The nation of Israel is torn apart by a lack of leadership and a dark society that's lost in sin. And according to Judges 21, verse 25, the last book, last verse in the, Bible, in the book, it says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The nation of Israel was often oppressed by the surrounding nations. God would appoint a judge to lead his people, but their freedom generally lasted only as long as the judge was alive, and then they would move back and become like the nations around them, worship in idolatry, go deep down into sin, and then God would have to raise up another judge. Some of the judges, like Samson, had some fatal flaws. When we come to 1 Samuel we're introduced to Hannah, who became the mother of the prophet, who would end up anointing Israel's first two kings. Indeed, mothers matter because their prayers can change the course of a nation, as is the case with Hannah. Now we come to Hannah, and we see that she takes her burdens, her disappointments, and all of her joys to the very throne room of God through what we call prayer. And prayer is merely a heartfelt conversation with the God of the universe. And help you think and fathom the depths of what that means. We see quickly in this story that Hannah is barren and it makes her deeply, deeply sad. We see she brought her disappointment of not having the children to the Lord. She brought her disappointment of not having the children to the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 that we just read to highlight that, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah's wife, and all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Sometimes we think people in the Bible are super saints. 
that they didn't really have serious problems or discouragement. But you and I, we can so relate to Hannah and her response by faith concerning the depth of the burden in her life. Verse 2 gives us the background of the story. Elkanah had two wives. That wasn't God's will. But in that culture, they had to have a couple wives in case one of them could not bear children so that they could carry on the name of the father. That was important. That's how they viewed it. Hannah was spiritually disturbed. She was socially disgraced. She was emotionally depressed due to the barrenness of her womb. It's hard to describe because we live in a different time with a different culture. As you know, in Israel at that time, your sign of wealth and status was based on how many children you had. Psalm 127 talks about your quiver being full, having many children. And your worth as a woman was suspect if you could not have or produce children. To add insult to injury, in Hannah's case, Elkanah's second wife flaunted perpetually in Hannah's face that she didn't have kids like she did. Penenna probably felt she was loved more by Elkanah because she could give birth to kids and may have been favored above Hannah. Under this main point, we see second of all that she brought the pain of personal attacks on her to the Lord. Can you imagine living in a house, sharing the same husband, <clears throat> the other wife's having all the kids, which is very pleasing to the husband, and she has to face that, but then also it gets pushed in her face all the time by Penenna. She keeps reminding her. In 1 Samuel 6, 1 through 8, an arrival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, Penenna used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and could not and would not eat. And Helkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And I'm sure she loved her husband very much, but she wanted to please God and please the culture and please the Lord and everybody and even her husband by having children as well. So we all know what it's like to be attacked personally and how it hurts us. We all react in different ways. Hannah had to face these personal attacks 24-7. She had to live with it and she couldn't get away from it. And Hannah didn't eat of the peace offerings offered her because of her anger toward the continual put-down by Penenna. So it's time for Hannah to turn to the Lord once again and beg God to do something miraculous. She needed to have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with God. Here's the application. When was the last time you took time away from your busy schedule to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with God? You know, the worship team just sang that song, You're Beautiful, Phil Wickham. It's a great opportunity because, I don't know about you, but I find myself sometimes talking a lot about Jesus and talking a lot about doctrine and things, but do I really focus on the person? Do I really seek God's face as it talks about in that song? So when was the last time that you just kind of shut everything off and got alone and had a heart-to-heart -heart talk with God? Notice that Hannah got right to the point, and she was laser-focused on what was on her heart. Second of all, she prayed for children. She begged God for children. She prayed with sorrow. She was hurting. She was grieving. This had gone on for a number of years. And 1 Samuel 1.10, it says, She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. 
Her response to all these circumstances was to pray and to seek help from God. One of the aspects of prayer is asking God to help you solve a problem that you cannot solve yourself. It's realizing that you're not smart enough, you're not wise enough, you're not strong enough, you don't have the resources, and the only place to turn is to our Heavenly Father. That's what prayer is all about. In 1 Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. Think about that. God is ready, leaning into, wants to listen to what you and I have to bring to him. Do you ever stop and think about that? As busy as God is, he has time for each and every one of us. You and I, we live in a world where people are busy and distracted for many things. To get someone's attention is not often an easy task. Sometimes when you want someone's attention, they have to put down a book, or they have to turn away from a screen, or stop doing something that they're doing. It's a privilege when someone does that so they can give you their undivided attention to listen to you. Think about that. Your prayers are honored in heaven as precious jewels. Your words make it to heaven, purified and empowered by the Holy Spirit, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 26, and they rise in a delightful fragrance to our Heavenly Father. They don't just rise above the room you're in, but somehow, in a way I cannot explain, it makes it all the way to the very throne room of God, where he's waiting, anticipating what you and I have to say. Prayer is a profound privilege. <clears throat> Excuse me. When we pray, we have a heavenly father who is listening and contemplating everything that we say. Second of all, she prayed secretly. <clears throat> she got alone. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 12, and as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli, the priest, sitting by the doorpost of the temple, observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, and <clears throat> only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Sometimes God wants us just to get alone, and we pray. And we don't pray to uh, be heard by other people, to see our great oratory and our wonderful phrasing. No, God's more interested in how we pray from our heart. And it's important at times to get together, as we do, in corporate ways to pray, in small groups to pray out loud. There's nothing uh, wrong with that. In fact, that's strongly encouraged. But Jesus also said in Matthew 6 that it's good to pray silently by ourselves. It says in Matthew 6, And when you pray, Jesus said, You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they might be seen by others. You see the prideful attitude? But truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. <clears throat> he will answer your prayer. As we've often said, it may not always be <clears throat> the exact way that you want it answered. He might say, wait. He might say, no. He might take you in a different direction, but God will answer your prayer. So she prayed secretly, and then she prays presently. When she feels the burden upon her, she goes to her Heavenly Father very quickly. She was hurting. She was in need. She didn't just dwell on it and think about it a long time and even think about praying. Her natural response was to pray. She prayed, and she prayed persistently, I'm sure. This is not, I'm sure, the first time that she was praying about having children. And we're to have that continual attitude of prayer going on at all times. 
Now, you know, when you're praying behind the wheel, don't close your eyes to pray, obviously, but we should have an attitude of prayer. One of the easiest verses of Scripture to memorize is 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. Three words. Everyone in this room can memorize that verse. Pray without ceasing. One of the greatest things about discipleship is that when you have a new believer, the first thing they do is they pray to receive Christ as Savior. And you don't really need to go to a seminar. You don't need to read a lot of books. You don't need to hear how to do it. It's just a conversation from the heart with the one who created you. He is ever-present. He's all-knowing. And so he's aware of our concerns even before we speak them, but he loves to hear our voice. So he wants us to share our heart with him. That's important. And then she prayed with power. She had great faith. She prayed with power. In 1 Samuel 1.20, And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I've asked for him from the Lord. And that's what his name means. In 1 Samuel 1.27, For this child I prayed, Hannah said, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. God delights in answering mom's prayers and anyone who prays. One of the most important things a mom can do is to pray for her husband and for her children. These two books are pretty dog-eared because I bought these many years ago, and I recommend them to you. Stormy O'Martian has written a series of great books on how to pray. This is the power of a praying husband, and it's all worn out because I do it every day, and I just keep repeating the book. And then I have the power of praying for your adult children. She wrote that. She's got one that I haven't gotten yet, pray for your grandkids. But there's some great opportunities to make part of your devotional life, a commitment to be praying, and, and they give you great, great prayers on submission and your wife's future and her desires and all these things. And they have one for the, for the wife as well, to pray for, pray for the husband. So we just uh, opportunities that are available to us to avail ourselves of. And so it's important for mom to pray for her husband and children. In Hannah's case, God answered her continual prayer in his time. That is a great prayer of hope and promise. That gives us great encouragement as we see answer to prayer in the Bible. There's a tremendous power in prayer, and for many of us, it's an untapped resource that we need to avail ourselves of more often. I like what James said in James 5.16, talking about Elijah, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I learned it in the King James, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So what's our application? How consistent and persistent are your prayers on behalf of your children as a mom. How consistent and persistent are your prayers on behalf of your children? She followed through, Hannah did, with her prayer to God after the birth of Samuel. She didn't just pray it, she lived it out. She took God at his word that if he answered, she was going to follow through what she had prayed to her heavenly father. And notice what she did. She kept her promise. She kept her promise and she vowed a vow as she prayed. In 1 Samuel 1.11, it says that she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, 
but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Hannah was committing her son that she had faith would be born to the Lord to use that the child, the Lord would use the child however he desired. She goes beyond the normal Nazarite vow. And if you look at Numbers chapter 6, which we won't take the time there, but the Nazarite vow was for a specific amount of time. You were not allowed to eat or drink of anything of a grapevine. You were not allowed to cut your hair. We think of Samson when we think of the Nazarite vow. And then also, you were not allowed to touch a dead person, even if it was a member in your family. And it was a set period of time where you set yourself apart to seek the holiness of God in your life. Well, guess what? She's not committing for a specific period of time. She's committing his whole life to that Nazarite vow. Hannah declared and asked God to do that for her son all the days of his life. And then she kept her promise. She didn't just vow a vow, but she kept her promise. In 1 Samuel 1.28, Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And basically, she's saying, Lord, I'm giving him over to you. Do with him however you want. Move him wherever you want. Use him however you can use him. Can you say that, Mom, about you and your children? Mom and Dad, both now and in the future for your kids and grandkids? Are you personally willing to obey the voice of God no matter what he asks of you? As we said in our communion meditation, is Christ our Savior, but is he also our Lord as well? That we trust his sovereignty to do what's best for our kids. I'm reading through Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God devotional on May 1st. <clears throat> it really jarred me, this particular reading, and I want to share it with you. It's Exodus 5.21. He's talking about Moses and the Israelites as they're under Egyptian bondage. And they said to Moses, let the Lord look on you and judge because you've made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. He was trying to deliver them from over 400 years of bondage. And they were more worried about what Pharaoh and the other Egyptians were going to do to them. They would rather stay in their bondage. Henry Blackaby says it's, a, it's possible for people to become so accustomed to their bondage that they resist efforts to free them. The Hebrews had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Slavery meant that they were not free to do God's will or to go where they wanted. Moses had come to tell the Israelites how they could experience freedom, yet they were more concerned about the reaction of their taskmasters than they were about pleasing God. For them to be free would mean that Pharaoh they were serving would be angry. It mean the Egyptians they had served all their lives might attack them. Freedom from their slavery did not seem to be worth the hardships they would inevitably endure. And when God sets out to free us, there will often be a price we will have to pay. Grief can be a terrible form of bondage, yet we can become comfortable with it. We can grow so comfortable with fear that we don't know how to live without it. As destructive as our sinful habits and lifestyle might be, we may prefer living with the familiar rather than being freed to experience the unknown. We may recognize the harmful influence of a friend, but choose direct to reject God's will rather than offend our friend. As incredible as it seems, the Israelites were angry at Moses for disrupting the life of slavery to which they had grown accustomed. And here's the question for you and I. Have we been lulled into comfortable 
relationship with our bondage? Do we fear change more than we fear God? Are we willing to allow God to do what is necessary in order to free us? And as parents and moms and dads, are we willing to put our kids on the altar and say, God, your will, whatever your will is, wherever you take our kids, however you lead, they are yours. Here's the application. How is your follow-through with your family lately? You've made some commitments. You've made some promises, maybe. You've set out to do some things. Are you following through with those promises with your family lately? Well, now we see how committed she is to the Lord and grateful for answering her prayer by giving her Samuel. We see she prepared Samuel for the future. Not only was he born, but now she was going to pour into him. She was going to prepare We see, first of all, she weaned and nurtured her son. As we said, he was born in 1 Samuel 1.20. Just to remind you, in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I've asked for him from the Lord. His name meant an answer to prayer. So after Samuel was born, we see a situation arise. It's time to go up to the temple for the yearly sacrifice. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 22, but Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there in the temple with Eli forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him only. May the Lord establish his word. And so the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Then She cared for him in the service for the Lord. Now think about it. When he was maybe three, three and a half years old, he was, you know, free from needing his mother's uh, milk. And so at that point, they take him up to the temple. And so there's no communication back in that day. Think about it. Hannah only saw her son one time a year. It says in 1 Samuel 2.19, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. It appears that Hannah lived a no-regrets life when it came to Samuel. She loved her son, kept her commitment, prayed for Samuel while separated, and supported his ministry as much as she possibly could. Think of the sacrifice a mother would have to make for her to keep her vow and her promise to the Lord. She wanted Samuel to be in the middle of God's will, even though it would cost her close relationship with her son. As we said, there's no way that she could have communicate. No cell phones, no messengers. And so the question is here in the application, how are you continually preparing your kids to go out into the world as young adults? Then when they're old enough to sprout their wings and go, what do you want to have invested into their life? Not, of course, the spiritual is the most important but to be responsible citizens, to understand how to handle money, to be emotionally mature in making their decisions, all these things. How are you continually preparing your kids, and for us who are grandparents, grandkids, to pour into them, to prepare them to go out into the world as young adults? Well, I wish we had more time to dig into our prayers of praise. You can read 1 Samuel 2. It's extended prayer. She's filled with joy, and the pains of the past were seemingly subsiding. Our last point is this, is she praised God. She praised God. She praised God for her prayer being answered. 
And 1 Samuel 1.27, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I've lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. She gave God the credit for the answer to prayer. She exalted the Lord. 1 Samuel 2.1, the first part of that verse, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. She gave praise and honor to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for answering her prayer. The glory went to him. She praised God for her salvation. In the second part of verse 1 of 1 Samuel 2, my mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. She praised God for answered prayer, gave him credit, and thanked him for her salvation. The application is this. On this Mother's Day 2021, what do you have to praise God for on behalf of your family? Take some time today and throughout this week as mothers to reflect on your family and thank God for some of the blessings and the things you see in your children that are taking root, that are causing them to grow and to become godly children. Never underestimate a mother fueled by prayer. Notice that little box that Carrie put in your notes there. Never underestimate a mother fueled by prayer. That's so true. And so our key thought is this. God is delighted to answer the persistent prayers of praying moms. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever give up. Story after story of NFL football players and, and, and people who are in politics and, and leaders that their mom never gave up praying for them and it impacted their life years later. Nadia Hashimi said this, cornered mothers pray for strange things. Cornered mothers pray for strange things. A mother's heart knows how to pray. Abraham Lincoln said this, I remember my mother's prayers and they've always followed me. They have clung to me all of my life. Mom, may your prayers for your children cling to them for the rest of their lives. Three questions to ponder this week. Can you carve out some alone time for a talk with God this week to maybe praise him, maybe to share some heart concerns about your children. But take some time this week just to get alone with God and to pray. And second of all, what could our church do to come alongside to help you in your preparation of the precious lives of the children and grandchildren to live as godly young adults currently or in the future? Let us know what things we could do to help and building godly young people. And lastly, what can, you see, what, what can you see as you look back on your time as a parent that you can thank God for? You know, when you were in that hospital room and you went through that labor and delivery and you had that little bundle of joy in your arms, you never knew. You know, there's no manual given to you on how to be a parent, right? And there's a lot of things you learn, but there's things that you can look back and you can thank God for in your life.